I just switch, switch to audio, then we'll probably have a better quality. Do you want to do that? Sure. Shall, shall I do that? Yeah. Okay, let's do audio. That way we won't have, uh, things won't get, uh, uh, you know, uh, what is it called? Stop the your heart. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Dustin Pischel, and in today's episode of The Chatting Comedian, I chat with the amazing Naveed. Um, how do I pronounce your last name? It's Naveed Mahboob. Naveed Ma- Mahboob. Yeah. It's like my boob, you know. Yeah. Naveed Mahboob. So let's say I'm from the south. Oh, never mind. I was thinking that it ended with boob. That's why I laughed. No, but it doesn't. Yeah. Naveed is a stand up comedian, columnist, and entrepreneur. Naveed was the CEO of the $111 billion company, IBM. Naveed is also the host of the radio show, Good Morning Bangladesh on ABC Radio. Naveed is also the author of the book, Humorously Yours and Counting. Naveed was also the CEO of Nicoya uh, Simons Network, which has over 150,000 employees and is worth and is worth billions of dollars. Naveed has also appeared has also appeared in the Adam Sandler movie You Don't Mess with Zohan. Naveed is the t- uh, is the host of the TV show Graham Graham a phone presents the ne- the Naveed Mahab- Mahabo show. Please welcome the amazing Naveed Mahabo. Thank you, uh, Justin. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and delight having you on. And I start off every episode by asking the heck, I mean, by asking the stand-up comedian, what's the worst heckler you have ever had? Oh, where do I start? But the funniest is, I, would, I don't know if it was the worst, but it was, that was definitely mm-hmm. was the funniest, is that in Dhaka, Bangladesh, the, uh, I was doing a show, and there were a whole bunch of U.S. diplomats there, mm-hmm from the U.S. Embassy, and I was making fun of George W. President George W. Bush, who was the president of the United States at that time. And they were, as you know, I was making fun of their commander-in-chief, and they were having a good time. But then um, there was a Bangladeshi gentleman sitting amongst them, and he got up and he was offended, and he said, you're making fun of... President George W. Bush and I work for the U.S. Embassy and I said, you know, shut the beep up and sit down. Don't worry, you'll get your green card. And everybody started to. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's basically that the American diplomats had no issues, but the Bangladeshi guy got offended. Yeah. So I got heckled, but I think I had a good uh, was the right word, a good response to him, and everything was fun after that. Yeah. Were you working as, like, the CEO of IBM at the time? That time I was the CEO of Nokia Humans Networks. Yeah. And just to just to elaborate a little bit, uh, explain a little bit on the intro you gave me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was the CEO of IBM, that $108-10 billion company, but not the global CEO. Mm-hmm. What happens is the... IBM is based out of New York, Bukowski, New York, but it has offices in practically over 100 countries, and each of those countries have their own CEOs. So I was a CEO 
of IBM in Bangladesh. So that was not a $110 billion company. That was a hundred, probably a hundred million dollar company. Same with Nokia Siemens Networks. So Nokia is a Finnish company from Finland. You know, they make those Nokia cell phones. Yeah. You probably Siemens is a big German conglomerate. So Nokia Siemens Networks is a, was a joint venture between Nokia and Siemens. So they had offices in you know many countries in the world so i was a ceo of their 75 million dollar company in wow. so just a little bit of clarification there. yeah that's still like super impressive though so i um, yeah. yeah okay I, I, i'll take that uh, you know when you're working in the corporate life and you know if you become a ceo of an organization that's kind of the top position you strive to get to and I have to say, I, I got those two. I was able to get to those positions in a fairly young age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you go to like any? Because a lot of times, like with like <clears throat> like a lot of times, well, I think a lot of CEOs go to college, but not a lot of like um people who start the business. I think it's sort of like fifty fifty. Did you go to college? Oh, I did. I uh, not only did I go to college, I also went to grad school. So I definitely attended. That was all in electrical engineering, and I also went to business school at the University of California Berkeley. But I didn't finish my degrees. Uh, so, but I think I knew enough to be dangerous to that helped me do fairly well. I think. Yeah, because what I noticed, like some people in business, like. Some of them are, like, they never went to college. Like, I think, like, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, and they never went. And then you have, like, Mike Zuckerberg, who went to Harvard. So it's, like, it's always interesting to see who go, if, some, if like, someone really big in the corporate world went to a college or not. Well, I think there are these examples that do stick out, but, you know, I, I don't know if that's the test is, but I wouldn't be missed. I probably am not wrong if the majority of the, those you see who are successful actually do have a college degree. Mm-hmm. And there are these exceptions like Jeff Bezos, or actually I'm not sure about Jeff Bezos, but at least uh, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, who both of them went to Harvard, they didn't finish college, yeah. but you know, the rest is history. They just had those those inherent acumen that made them very successful entrepreneurs and and technologists but then again there's a whole slew of examples that i can we both can give and you'll see that they do have some level of um, college degree you look at elon musk now it's not exactly in technology that he's got a degree but he's got a college degree yeah yeah so how did you get started in stand-up comedy it was somewhat of an accident, if you may say. We used to live in San Diego, California at that time, and my wife and I, we were at the comedy store. It's a pretty famous club yeah. in the West Coast, and we went to the show on Valentine's night, which happens to be tomorrow. Yeah. And we saw the show, and after the show, we were both hanging out with the headliner comedian. It was a very funny guy. And one thing led to the other during the conversation. And he mentioned about the owner of the club was Mitzi Shore and Sammy Shore. They formed this club back in the 70s. 
and he mentioned that their daughter Sandy Shore is a well-known comedy instructor and should I be interested I could give her a shout and she may you know ask me to go and take a workshop with her so that's what I did I contacted her she took a lot of interest because I was a fairly unique unique specimen that I'm a Bangladeshi first generation Bangladeshi in the United States I'm an engineer married I'm a Muslim so she found it a very interesting package she said yeah come over let's work with you then she said your stories are so unique you definitely need need to work on your unique stories on the stage and that's really what how I started and the rest is history yeah that's so cool yeah so I didn't know that uh uh sing that Mitzi Shaw had a daughter that taught comedy. That's interesting. Yeah. So did you ever like go back to the comedy store and perform there? Oh yeah. I mean that place because we lived in San Diego for many years, and I would drive down to the sun the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard every Sunday I had a little seven minute spot I would go and perform those seven minutes and that was my regular spot at the comedy store so by default I still consider myself as having the comedy store as my home club mm-hmm. yeah it's always like cool to see like what comedians home clubs what comedians home club is theirs so yeah so what's the comedy stand-up comedy scene like in bangladesh it's growing and if i were to draw an analogy the scene is somewhat crudely similar to what the scene was in the united states in the 70s so it's really been about 10 12 years since stand-up comedy really started over here and not to brag, but 12 years ago, my wife and I, we formed Navid's Comedy Club, and yeah. this was the first and only comedy venue. And to this day, it remains as the first and only comedy wow. venue in the country. And we started in this small basement with barely could fit about 50 people, mm-hmm. just like a New York style comedy club. And that's where we started. And then comedians started to come, do open mics, and now, like I just came from an open mic at my comedy club and there were 25 comedians scrambling for stage time. So I think we've come along quite a ways. We've got a long way to go, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely booming. Yeah. So you're sort of like the comedy store of Bangladesh. Well, I mean, you can call it the poor man's comedy store in Bangladesh. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if the comedy store in the U.S. was the first comedy club, <laughs> but at least I know that it's one of the first historical ones, the big, big boys, if you want to call it, where all the big names came out of. So, I mean, if you do make that analogy, I will happily take that as a compliment. Yeah. But then again, keep in mind that that's, this is a poor man's version of it. <laughs> yeah, so what was it? So, like, people, like, the, I don't know how big Bangladesh is, but do, like, people come from, like, all parts of Bangladesh to see the comedy club because there are other comedy clubs there? Well, if they have a chance to do it, they would, but it's also a fair amount of logistical 
undertaking to come from somewhere, another city with just four or five hours drive away. And keep in mind those four or five hours of the road, quote unquote highway is not the four or five hours of highway on Interstate 5, that you just put it on cruise control and you drive. It's just like a undivided road and with various forms of traffic, it's very strenuous to be on the road for four hours. Yeah. So even in Dhaka city, which is the capital city from across town, people think twice before they come to the comedy club because the traffic is so wow. bad and it's so strenuous that they'll say, yeah, we want to go to the show, but I just can't bear to be in this traffic jam for 90 minutes just to travel five miles. That's crazy. So like, it's probably more effective to walk. Yeah. So what? Oh, sorry. So, uh, so, um, yeah. what are your craziest stories from being on the road? Oh, craziest stories. Oh, this is very interesting that I had a show in Paris once. And then I didn't know where it was. I mean, the area, so I just looked the Google Maps showed up and it turned out that the club, it was not a club, it was a theater. It was a beautiful theater, but smack in the middle of the red light district. So I got up to the Metro, I went there and there were hustlers on the, the corner of every street and, you know, shady people all around. And I found that to be a fairly uncomfortable situation but then I went to the theater it's a beautiful theater but I had to go down to the basement where the green room was but before the comedy show there was a cabaret show going on so that was um, I mean I even have a good comedy material on this particular experience but that I think was an interesting experience for me while I was in the world yeah so can you tell us about your tv show the navid mahabu uh yeah the the navid mahabu show yeah it is basically a late night show just the way you have the late show with stephen colbert Mm -hmm. or jimmy kimmel live on the tonight show with jimmy fowler so i'm pretty sure you're familiar with those shows yeah Big fan okay, of so some this of them. Is, this is exactly a, the same format. It's a late night show, and there's a monologue followed by a guest interview. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a musician, or sometimes there are different skits where my field reporter would go out to other on, on location on the streets and have these fun interviews, or sometimes you would have a little skit or some segment. So very much the late night show format you see mm-hmm. the only difference once again is the poor man's version because mm-hmm. we had to work with very limited budget and instead of this being a daily show like you have five days a week on week weekdays mm-hmm. weeknights weekday nights this was only once a week yeah second is that the duration was only 22 minutes because given the budget, this was really the best we could produce, you know. It takes a lot of work to produce 22 minutes of content, good content, and a week is what we needed. And so that's how it was. I was the executive producer. I was the writer. I had another writer with me. And eventually I got my own production 
uh, equipment, set of equipment and crew, and and we filmed it at universities. So we wow. have to be very smart in how we spend the very limited funds we had per per episode. And we just finished last June, so about six months ago, but we ran 250 episodes. That's wow. five years of airing of the show, so it was fairly successful. And I've had a lot of very high-profile guests from not only Bangladesh, but also from from other parts of the world. Yeah, something I, I watched some of the show on YouTube, and what I noticed is like, I remember you had like a six-person band, and it was so cool. I know what? You had like a six-person band, and it was just so cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so it's always like fun like to see like um, like comedians I have on my podcast with like their late-night show like in another country, and a lot times like what I notice is their bands are much like larger than the bands that they have in the United States like like I think it used to be a thing that we had like in the 70s but the only like late night well it's not really a late night show but the only show that uses bands anymore is like Saturday Night Live yeah but I mean also uh, Stephen Colbert on the late show with Stephen Colbert he's got the he's got a live band um, uh, you know, the only only human, uh, what's his name? Uh, and then Jimmy Kimmel doesn't have, but Jimmy Fallon has the Roots, which is the live band. Mm-hmm. We couldn't afford a live band because <laughs> just the fact that just to have a bare show, bare minimum show with 22 minutes of content was taking up all the funds. And <laughs> then if you want to have a band, not only is it going to cost money, but also logistically it becomes even more complex yeah. to film an episode with or, or this late night show with the band. So we got away with it. We didn't have a band. And I believe Jimmy Kimball doesn't use a band. I didn't even have a sidekick. So it was bare minimum. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us about your book, Humorously Yours and Counting? Yeah, there were two books I wrote. One was Humorously Yours, and then the sequel was Humorously Yours and Counting. Basically, this was a compilation of my weekly editorial, not editorial, my weekly column on the Daily Star, which is Bangladesh's most widely circulated English daily. And every Friday, and Friday is a weekend over here, every Friday my column would go out at the name of the column was humorously yours which was a mockumentary meaning that i would make a sat i would write a satire i would write a a column based on satire but on a very hot recent topic mm-hmm. so for example if i were to write it now it probably would be a good topic would be russia thinking about invading ukraine yeah okay or it could be about all these artists who are quitting Spotify just because of the misinformation on COVID that's subliminally being Mm -hmm. embedded in the content of of Spotify. So something that's on top of people's mind is a topic I would choose and then make a fun column out of it. But then again, it's not just pure making fun of it. It was also 
making a point. So every week this yeah. column came up, and then I compiled a whole bunch and published, had this book published by the Daily Star, which is one of the top publishers in the country, wow. which was called Humorously Yours. And then a couple of years later, I had the second book published called Humorously Yours and Counting, which was basically a sequel to that first book, which was a comp compilation of a whole bunch of columns, which came out subsequently on the Daily Star newspaper. Yeah, uh, something you should check out is The Onion, like, they had a lot of, like, uh, like, sat satire, like, comedy news stuff, like, in the early 2000s, they had, like, a web series, a lot of it's available on YouTube, so that's cool. Yes, I did, I remember that time I used to follow The Onion quite a bit, it was very entertaining, not only just to read the onion, but also see the video content of yeah. onion. But that was basically ONN, meaning that as if the newspaper is a real newspaper, or as if it is a real news channel, mm -hmm. but everything is fake. Mm -hmm. And it was funny. But in yeah. my case, it wasn't fake. It, these were all factual. Yeah. And it was basically a monologue. When yeah. you look at the late night show monologues, they take an actual news and news and they poke fun at it. Mm -hmm. So my column was different from the onion in the sense that it was a fact and I was poking fun at the facts. Whereas the onion was it was totally just fake news. It seemed like it was real news, but it was just fake news. Yeah. Uh I'm like a big fan of like monologues. I've tried to like I've started to write monologues late. Like in the past two months, I've started to write some. I'm sorry, you're saying you're not a fan of monologues? No, I, I said I am. Uh, I've started to write them in the last few months. Okay, okay, great. So yeah. you're writing monologues? Yeah. Last few months? Okay, great. Yeah, so what would. So have you ever had like an. So when the Schumann. When Schumann the Naveed Mahabu show, did you ever have, like, in-studio <coughs> audience hecklers? No, actually, no, I actually never had that, fortunately. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't think I did any content that would elicit anybody to heckle. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, there was a lot of spontaneous reactions and responses mm -hmm. from the audience and actually that fed into the show so no fortunately i never had any heckling on my uh, show and besides if there were we always had an option to edit it out if it was something we couldn't show because yeah. just even just like the late night shows in the u.s they are pre-taped pre-recorded mm -hmm. so this was also pre-recorded but uh, to answer your question no never had that incident of any heckling on the yeah, because I always, like, wondered what would happen, like, if, like, say the show was live and there was, like, a heckler that was in the audience, like, all hell would break loose. Well, I don't think all hell would break loose because, uh, you know, heckling happens <laughs> at live stand-up comedy shows <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And that's where the skill of the comedian comes in as to how well he or she can handle the heckling without losing one's control or temper 
without being offensive in return, but with wit, giving an appropriate answer to heckle, and in the process winning over the majority of the audience members who are sitting there. So if that were to happen during a late night show, assuming it's live and it's, and some of the late night shows have happened live under certain circumstances, let's say there was a presidential debate and right after that they had to air the show, they figured that, well, let's just go live because we really need to talk about this hot topic rather than just pre-reported and miss that content. So if yeah. something like that were to happen, well, the late night shows are veteran comedians and I'm pretty sure they would have a good comeback. Mm -hmm. Or even if they didn't, wouldn't have a good comeback. It's just something that happened and you live with it. And that itself makes the news the following day. Yeah. So, um, what was the day-to-day -day basis like uh like as the host of the Naveed Mahabu show well the schedule was as I mentioned it was a once a week once a week show so building up we would record it probably a day before the actual airing or sometimes two days just to give us ourselves enough safe margin of a time to edit and have it ready for airing but most often the thought of the six days when we would tape it. Prior to that, we had six days, but usually the first of those six days would go, or two days would go just doing nothing because you were, once you're done with an episode, you need to really, you're, you're kind of, you're burned out, you need at least a day to recover. So the first day is gone in recovering. And then second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, you are working on the monologue. And that mm -hmm. means that I really don't want to use the news from day number the second day because yeah. I'm taping on the sixth day and airing on the seventh day. So the, the news which happened five days ago is really not going to be hot topic during the yeah. monologue. So more often than not, we would wait till the fourth day or even the fifth day to gather all the news that we would mm -hmm. like to talk about during the monologue because those are still on the top of people's mind. And then you start working on trying to make things funny based on those news items. And now you're scrambling because you basically have a day or maybe a day and a half maximum of a couple of days to make sure you have a yeah. five to seven minute bulletproof monologue. Now, once you have that, Keep in mind as you're working on it in parallel you're also working on lining up the guest and it's not easy to line up a guest because these are big names celebrities famous sports personalities politicians corporate um, you know big wigs so i don't have a crew just as for example stephen colbert has where they would contact those celebrities and have pre-interviews. I'm the one who has to do all this work, yeah. get their contact information, call them mm -hmm. up. And a lot of times they would say, yeah, you know what? I don't want to be on your show. I mean, they wouldn't say exactly like that. They would say, you're not busy or maybe, uh, yeah. you're not comfortable, whatever. So now you're hustling to get that next guest. Mm -hmm. And as then, then also we don't have our own studio. Mm -hmm. Remember that we are on a thin budget. Stephen Colbert has the Ed Sullivan Theater. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Kimmel has his own studio at, at uh, ABC. 
Jimmy Fallon has got his own studio. That means that network has given those late night show hosts their own theater with their own crew, with their own camera equipment and everything. All they do is go there every night. Of course, I'm not saying all, that's all they do, but logistically they would go there, switch things on, tape it, switch things off, edit. No, they don't even edit. They just know the timing and then a few hours later they're airing it. There are people lining up to be audience members of those shows. They have people to seat them, brief them, have a warm-up comedian, the, there's somebody to pre-interview the guests. We didn't have that luxury. We didn't have that budget mm-hmm. to do that. So I had to do practically everything. Yeah. So that means I'm writing, I'm hustling to get the guests. Mm-hmm. And the venue, we don't have our own studio, but we still need a live audience. If I go hire a venue, I don't have the money to hire the venue. Mm-hmm. So I have to be clever. And I would go strike a deal with the university. I go to the president directly. And something, one thing that helped was that people knew me as a comedian. Yeah. People knew me as a former CEO of two multinational companies, multi-billion-dollar companies. So I had that. I don't want, don't want to brag, but I had that level of acceptance that yeah. I would call the president, or we called him the vice chancellor of the university. I said, hey, you know what, can I use your auditorium uh, for my taping? And then I had to do a sales pitch, you know, I'm going to put your university ending credits. Say, Daniel, thank you, Frank University, for allowing us to use your auditorium. They said, yeah, go ahead. So now I get the venue for free. Then I take my camera equipment and I need an audience. And university audience are by far the best audience you could get. So if there's an auditorium you on social media or you put it up on notice bulletins that hey Navit Mahabu show tape is gonna take place, then a hundred students show up. Mm-hmm. And if there's a hundred students filling up an auditorium or a couple hundred or a few hundred or five hundred, now you have an audience. So yeah. now you also have to hustle to get all these done. Mm-hmm. And then you record it. And then it goes to the editing table because more often than not, we tape more than 22 minutes and then we have to trim it down. Unlike the Stephen Colbert show, they, if they are 52 minutes, they're going to tape exactly 52 minutes. They, they, are, they are somewhat on the clock. For us, it wasn't, at least aside from the monologue, it wasn't as much scripted. So now you're editing. And since I'm the ex- executive producer, I we practically produced the whole show and just, just give it to the network. Now, one of the things I did, I struck a deal with these sponsors saying that you give me the money I produce, I give, give it to the channel. So that means I own the show as opposed to the network owning the show. Mm-hmm. So that's why, that's how, why the week mm-hmm. went up uh, doing all these things, not just the production of the show, the content, but all these other logistical things we had to take care of. Even the coffee in the mug. You know, yeah. I, we had a mission, oh yeah, let's get some, it's going to cost us to get the, buy the coffee from yeah. elsewhere. So we would make the coffee at home, put put it in a thermos flask and just pour it over there. That We have to be very creative in producing the show. So basically, and that also made a lot of work over those six days to make sure on the seventh day we air on time. Okay, yeah. That's a lot of work. That must have been very hard. <laughs> It was a lot of work, it was a lot of fun because basically, as I mentioned, we are a late night show, programs, Jimmy Kimmel is what they call me over here. 
But yeah. practically, we were doing the same work as those late night shows do, but with a very thin Absolutely. crew, one person doing 10 jobs. Yeah. So thank you so very much for being a guest on my podcast. It was an honor and delight having you on. And before we go, is there anything you'd like to promote? Well, I mean, first of all, thank you very much for Absolutely. having me. To, uh, to promote, well, I, gosh, I mean, I, it's, oh, it's, it's high time that I work on my Navid Mahabub special mm-hmm. and one-hour Netflix special. I've got the content and what? I've got the sequence ready. I just need to tape it mm-hmm. and pitch it. And, and I'm fairly confident the content, the content is unique given my life experiences and yeah. my uh, my life experiences and my observations and my points of view. So if that happens, and if it's there on Netflix, watch it. Yeah, it's super cool. And thank you so very much for being a guest. It was an honor and delight having you on. And goodbye and have an amazing day. Well, thank you, Justin, for having me. And I do apologize once again that we I was two hours late. Oh, it's usually fine. Never happens. It's just, uh, it's just no excuse, but nevertheless, I was two hours late. Yeah. And also that for the last several months, we have been trying to set up a time. Mm-hmm. We rescheduled so many times. Mm-hmm. And I do, do appreciate yeah. your bearing with me. It's Keeping good. in mind in Definitely. December, I had COVID. And pretty much everybody in the house got COVID at different times. So it was spread out over a month and a half of chaos over here. Do, do appreciate your bearing with me on that. Yeah, absolutely. And goodbye and have an amazing day. Goodbye. Thank you. And let me know when this thing is out. I'd be okay. happy to share it on my social.